by God's grace and our giving. We say to Mount Mortgage, by faith in Jesus' name, Mount Mortgage, you are dismissed, removed, and canceled. You know, I asked you for $1,000 last Sunday to put on the principal. Do you know you did that? Do you know you did that? You know, the office doesn't like for me to tell when you do things because they think you won't do it again. They're wrong, aren't they? <laughs> I got three that's right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And we're going to knock that mortgage out. God has already said so. I will do my part paying God's tithe and giving liberal offerings and watch God do the rest. Mm. Now, we usually look towards I-59, our faces to the, to the left. By faith, I see a building with a thousand seats filled with people participating in a flourishing ministry in Jesus' name. Well, why don't you say thank the Lord? I want to talk to you today in our series on uh, seed time and harvest. I left some corn up here, and I don't see it. Where is it at? I left it right here in front of me. In the front of what? In the front of what? This ain't for pretty. Flowers are for pretty. This is for theology. I'm going to talk to you today about what does the Bible mean when it says reap what you sow. Um, I've heard people quote that scripture my whole life. Usually they think that it means if you do something bad to someone, somebody will do something bad back to you. That is not the truth. That is not right. And that is not what a Christian desires. A Christian doesn't desire that bad ever be done to anyone, even their enemies. A Christian desires that good will come to all men and women and they pray for their enemies to be blessed. That's what Jesus taught us to do. Jesus led the example in doing that even on the cross. He prayed for those that had mistreated him. And he did that in order that we would understand that you don't get ahead in life by hurting anyone, even those that's hurt you. You can only get ahead by being bigger than they are. And so rather than show hatred, you show them love. Rather than get revenge, you find a way to bless them with abundance. And you pray for your enemies that they receive every good thing that you want for your life. That's the way a Christian treats their enemies. Even though, yes, even though, 
I heard somebody else say then, even though, yes, even though. But where the Bible talks about sowing and reaping, I want to read 2 Corinthians 2 and then from the book of Galatians. And we opened the door on this about four nights ago here on Wednesday night, and I want to go back into that and put some of that forward because I know that many of you have work schedules that won't allow you to be here in order that you can receive the information. Hopefully, in receiving it, it will bring blessing and deliverance to your life. But I want to talk to you about that today in 2 Corinthians 2, 8 and 10. I want to read a condensed version of the study, the scriptures that we studied. It says, and God is able to give you more than you need. Now, hear that before I go any further. And God is able, would the church say, yes, God is able to give me more than I need. Most of us pray for what we need. And we're almost afraid to go beyond that. So if our car note is a certain amount or our rent is a certain amount, or our children need a certain amount for school, we will believe just that far, which means that we have limited God in what he really wants to do. God is able to give you more than you need so that you will always have all you need for yourselves and more than for every good cause. Can you hear this again, please? I know I'm reading it slow, but I'd rather take it slow and cut the message in half and come back and finish. And God is able to give you more than you need so that you will always have all you need. That means that once God blesses you, you won't ever have to go back to him again for a blessing. Because he gave you so much in that one drop that now you have for always all you need. So you don't have to go back every pay period. <laughs> always have all you need for yourselves. But watch this. And more than enough for every good cause. So I'm not only supposed to believe for myself. But I'm to believe to have such abundance that if there is a good cause, I've got enough for me and extra for the cause. And God, here's the verse I love, who supplies seed to sow and bread to eat. Now that means you don't have to eat your seed because he supplies both bread with seed in it. Every apple has seed in it unless it's been grown by man in some technological device. Watermelons that grow from the ground have seed in them. Peaches have seed. Everything you eat has seed. The steak you ate, the cattle have seed, and the bull that goes into the cow and produce calves. Everything has seed. So every time I get anything, there is seed 
in it. So there is some of this for me to consume and others of this for me to plant. If I eat all of it, I have eaten away my future dinner. If I eat the apple and the seeds, I can't grow any more apple trees. If I eat the watermelon and the seeds, next year I won't have a watermelon crop. Not because I didn't have seed, but because I let my appetite destroy my future. God who supplies seed to sow, bread to eat, will also supply you with all the seed you need and will make it grow. And will what? Make it grow. I need your help. And will what? Make it grow. Ah, you can't make it grow because you don't know how a seed works. You don't, you don't understand it. You have to put it in the ground. You can't take a seed, put it on the table, pour water on it, and it becomes dinner. Because you don't know how to make it grow. So who has to make it grow? God. And produce not some mediocre harvest. I need you to see this. But produce what? A rich harvest from your generosity. Now verse 8 talked about always all you need. Verse 10 talks about the rich harvest. Now Galatians 6 verses 6 and 7. Let him who is taught in the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Now, check this out. The verse here in Galatians is connected to the word and to being taught the word. That if I am taught the word, there's going to be a planting. If I'm taught the word, there's going to be a planting. Here, Paul is talking about planting into the teacher. There's going to be a planting. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows into the teacher that brought him the word, that shall he also reap. Now, the principle today has not, I'm not talking about the teacher or the teaching. I'm talking about verse 7. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Okay? Whatever he what? Sows, that will he what? Also reap. So if he has not sown, he cannot what? So, is everybody with me? If, well, help me then. If, if he has not sown, church, he cannot what? So if I'm not reaping, it means I've not what? I can only reap what I've sown. I can't reap what Deacon Johnson has sown. I can't reap what Paul Neal has sown. I can only reap in my life from what I have sown. I don't need to be over in Paul Neal's field picking his corn or pulling his corn or digging up his tomatoes. I can only expect to get back what I have put there. Amen. With that in mind, I want to talk to you about this reaping and sowing and harvesting and all of that because it is that time of the year for us. The seed that we put in the ground puts a demand on the earth. 
Now, although the earth is broader, bigger, heavier, and we put the seed in the soil, understand, the seed rules the earth. The earth does not rule the seed. You dig a hole, you put a seed in it. The seed is very small. It goes down into the earth and you cover over it with heavy dirt. The dirt is heavier than the seed. The dirt puts pressure on the seed. But the pressure that the earth puts on the seed squeezes the seed into its potential. The seed cannot be what God created it to be without the pressure of being buried. So the pressures in life contribute to my greatness. What God has deposited in me only reaches its greatest and highest potential under pressure. So the seed puts a demand. When you put a seed in the earth, according to Isaiah 55, it requires water. It requires the soil. It requires the DNA of the soil in order for the seed to ever become more than a seed. So I put one seed in the earth, and when the seed comes up, the seed does not come up an ear of corn, but a stalk filled with corn. But that stalk and all the ears of corn, are you with me, was inside the seed the whole time. When the seed was a seed that was locked inside the seed, a stalk of corn. But the stalk, the, the stalk could not come forth from the seed until I put the pressure of the earth on the seed. And then the seed takes dominion over the soil. If the soil had dominion over the seed, then the seed would never produce anything. The soil tells the seed what to give it in order that it can produce. So the seed has dominion. Everybody say, my seed has authority. Same thing is true when you talk about human life. The sperm that is the seed of human life goes into the womb and the sperm takes over. And although it is microscopic, and although the female body is not microscopic at all, she is visible, she is there, but the seed has to do its job. And the only way the seed can do its job is to pull from that mother's body everything that it needs in order to produce a baby. Seeds have power. And my seed has power when it's, when it's planted. And although there is more soil than the seed, the seed has dominion over the soil, not the reverse. And so it's not the size of the pressure. It's not the size of the problem. It is the power of the seed. And what God does when we pray and ask him to help us, please hear me, what God does when you pray and ask him for help, he will send you a seed. Now, we don't really want that. We want God to send us a full-grown miracle. So we will pray and ask God to do something, and then we'll sit up and wait on a manifested miracle. And if it don't show up, we'll pray again. And then we'll pray again, and then we'll pray again, and then we'll get tired of praying. So after about a week and a half of praying, we'll figure, well, maybe I'm not asking, for, I'm not asking right. I'm not praying right. Let me change and pray for something else. When the truth is, 
God always starts with the seed. He always starts with the seed. I used to be a seed. You were once upon a time a seed. All of us were seeds. And out of a million seeds trying to get in the right place in my mother's body, I'm the only one that got in there. God gives you a seed when you have a need. Would you say that with me? God, come on, gives me a seed when I have a need. You're praying for a full-grown miracle to walk in the door and say, I'm here representing the Lord. He told me to come. No. God said, you look at my word, it's full of seeds. The answers to all of your problems are right in here. It's filled with seeds. Take the seed and put it in your heart and believe that you have received it and you shall have it. I wish I had a witness. Then the other way that God does it is he sends you material seed. And there's a process that it goes through. The seed has to dry and die, then it produces, and then it can multiply himself, itself. Now, God's word has a dedicated seed for every need. Would you say every need? For example, if there is a sinner and they need to be saved, and we consider ourselves saved people, what word of God do we use as the seed in order to be saved? Do we turn over in the Bible where Jesus said to Judas, whatever thou do, go and do quickly. Is that the verse you got saved on? Or did you get saved on the verse over there where it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, Psalm 23, 6. Is that the verse that you got saved on? No, because that seed is not designed for salvation. Did you get saved under the verse, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands? No. What did you get saved on? Except a man be born again, cannot see the kingdom of heaven. What did you get saved on? Romans 10. If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Saved. How do I get saved? By taking the scripture that teaches salvation. And I get saved. Same thing is true for healing. If I'm sick and I want to be healed, I don't read over in the Bible where it says, well, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? There's no healing in that. That's not what that verse is for. You know what I found in the Bible? With his stripes, you were healed. You know what I found in the Bible? He sent his word and heal them. You know what I found in the Bible? That he himself took our infirmities and our sicknesses and bore them on the cross. And that produced healing in my body. Are you listening? So whatever I need, I need to find the seed that will produce that particular result. Same thing is true for finances. And I'm teaching this because there's so much there's so much financial bondage, so much. And God doesn't want you to live in financial bondage. God doesn't want you to live under financial pressure. God doesn't want you to not be able to pay your rent or pay your mortgage or pay for your transportation. God doesn't want you to have to try to gather up all you want and beg for what you need. God doesn't want you living in a position where it's hand to mouth and you barely can get along and that check just is making it to three days before the next paycheck. The average person, if it's a two-week pay period after the end of the first week, they're already in trouble. 
And in many cases, the check is already earmarked before you ever see it. I wish I had a witness. So you get the check and the money is really already spent. What you're trying to do is figure out how you can put off paying Paul and give Peter a little bit. So that maybe you won't stay in trouble and you can work yourself out as you go along. Am I talking to anybody? You got children in school and they always have needs. And then they need something else and then they need something else. And then you look on the calendar and the birthday is coming. Then you look and see Christmas is coming. And then you got pressure from your family. They're trying to borrow money from you. And then because they check wasn't good enough or they don't even draw a check. And they're working a guilt trip on you to try to make you give them something to help them get through. How many knows God doesn't want us to live like that? God wants us to have all that we need for our ways. Boy, I should have got a shout right there, but since I didn't, it must mean I'm on the right road. So you have to get the seed for finances and then fertilize it with your faith. <laughs> because the word goes down in the soil, which is your heart. And that's good soil if you have a listening ear. But then you have to fertilize it with your faith. In other words, I can teach this all weekend long. But if you don't put your faith on what I'm saying, it still won't bring a harvest. You can say, well, I believe that is scripture. Well, that won't do it. Saying you believe it's scripture, that won't work it. No, that won't work it. That's just saying you believe it's scripture. That's not saying you believe it's working in your life. Well, I believe in the word of God. Well, that won't work it either. No. That faith is so abstract, it could never do anything to work in your life. No. You know, you know, I stand here today a saved person, and I know that I'm saved. I don't say, well, I believe in the word of God. No, I believe Jesus Christ saved me at the cross and rose from the dead. I learned that in the word of God, but I believe he saved me. I believe that with his stripes, I am healed. Not that he heals. No, I don't, I'm not saying by his stripe he heals. No, I believe he's healed me. I believe that my God shall supply all of my needs. I don't believe that, I don't believe it in, for, in a general sense. Well, you know, that's what the Bible said. God will supply all your needs. Well, no, that's not faith. No, I believe God will supply all of Sherman's needs. Sherman has needs. They're real, right? Well, I also believe God's provision is just as real as my needs. I believe that where I'm broke, God is never broke. I believe that. And I believe that whatever I need, he's already. Now, here's, my, here's the way my faith runs. It's already laid up for me with my name on it. I just need to put myself in the right position so that when the need comes, I can get it without crawling on my knees begging God. Because, because you can't get any breakthrough out of God begging him. Matter of fact, you turn him off when you do that. All that crying and whining is unbelief. You, you turn him off when you do that. I'm not talking about when your heart is broken over death or some issue like that. I'm talking about when you are looking to have your needs met. God doesn't want you coming into him acting like he may not bless you. 
that turns him off. That, that, that causes you to have to go through some more tests and some more challenges until you shake off all of that fleshly mess and come boldly to the throne of grace that you might obtain grace and mercy at the time of need, Hebrews chapter 4. When I come in before God, I need to come in with my head up. When you go see a banker, do you start crawling in the bank door? If you need a mortgage, when you get on the bank sidewalk, do you get on your knees, start crawling in? Crawled up to the receptionist, I need to see the branch manager. But the branch manager's right in there, and you go crawling in there, please loan me some money. Please loan me some money. Please, I, I just ain't gonna make it if you don't loan me some money. Bank manager, have mercy on me. The bank manager would call security and have you thrown out. Because intelligent people walk in with their head upright. They sit there and present their financial portfolio. They put their stuff, say, here, I need this money. And here, was, here is the proof that I'm trustworthy. I will pay it back. God said, when you come in to me, you come in with a humble attitude, but you don't come in bawling and squalling. You come in based on covenant promises. You come in as a child of God that knows that his father loves him, cares for him, and wants to do for him. See, seeds are important. Words are seeds, you know. You know, whatever you sow, you get back. Huh? You ever been in an argument with your spouse? I know the married couples in here, y'all don't ever fight. I notice y'all, y'all don't ever fight. Never fight. But for those who have fought, have you noticed that when you put out a word of strife, you get strife back? When y'all get to disagreeing, and I know you don't know what I'm talking about, so ask your mother or your father or your sister or your brother. But when you get to disagreeing, you call him a name. You ever notice he calls you a name back? You start at one level and then it escalates. And both of y'all are trying to figure out who can get nastier. And then what my sisters usually do is go back about 10 years and come up with something they said they forgot about. Because sisters have long memories. I don't have a witness here. See, a brother may forget, a sister don't never forget. Now, she says she forgot it, but what she does, she puts it in cold storage. And then on the right night, at the right time, in the right situation, when it will fit right in. But brother man deserved it because he planted a seed that he didn't want to harvest. So when she comes back out with that, he said, now, you said you never bring that up again. Words of love produce love. You wouldn't expect to tell somebody you love them and they look back and say they hate you. I don't have a witness here. Compliments produce compliments. You tell them how good they look and they look back and say, well, I sure wish I said the same thing about you. Money produces money. And God is, everybody repeat after me, God is concerned about my spirit. He's concerned about my body. And he's concerned about my money. And that's why the Bible gives us 
2 Corinthians 9 that we read, he's able to make you rich enough. Now, there's only three things you can do with money. Only three things. Spend it, save it, and sow it. You can't do nothing else with it. Spend it, save it, sow it. You wouldn't put it between bread and eat it as a sandwich. You wouldn't put it on the grill and put some barbecue sauce on it. You wouldn't sew it together and wear it as a skirt. You would only spend it, save it, and sew it. The problem is in church, we do it in that order. Now, spending it gets an immediate result. I mean, if I spend money on, on this corn, I've got corn immediately. And that's the result. And usually, whatever I buy with my money depreciates. I know there are cases where it appreciates, meaning it's more valuable later. But for everyday living purposes, most of what we buy is worth less after we bought it than it was before we got it. So you buy a car, car costs $20,000, you drive it off the lot, now it's worth $17,000. It dropped $3,000 as soon as you drove out into the street. I don't have a witness here. You leave the car lot, go six blocks from the car lot, somebody runs into your brand new car and hits it. You call the insurance company and find out, well, we can't give you $20,000 for it. You say, but I just bought it 10 minutes ago. No, when you drove it off the lot, it dropped to 17000 So although money, $20 is worth $20 in my pocket, once I spend it, that 20 now in value has become worth less. So that's spending. The next category is what? Saving. And saving gets an immediate reward. If I've got $50 and I save $50 for three years, it didn't become a 20 in my pocket. Although, according to the economy, it may have varied a little bit. A 20 today and a 20 a year from today is still worth 20. A 50 is still worth 50 a year from now because I saved it. Are you listening to me? Well, sowing causes future reward. Sowing is the only thing on this list that comes back multiplied. I don't have a witness. In other words... If I sold my money in a, on the money market, I'm not putting it on the money market for it to stay the same for five years. If I put $100 on the money market five years from now, I'm not looking for $100. I'm at least looking for $125 because I sold it. And when you talk about kingdom sowing, the multiplication is the same as a seed and a stalk of corn or a Firm and a human body. How much bigger am I than I used to be? I don't have a witness here. You come out of your mother's womb, you might be six or seven or eight pounds, and maybe bigger than that, maybe a little smaller than that. But before you went into your mom's body, you weren't that big. Matter of fact, we couldn't even see you. But now, look at you. Look at you now. Look at me now. Six foot three. Look at me now. 240 pounds. Look at me now. Don't mess with me. 
I'm not microscopic. I used to be small and teenage, but look at me now. That's the difference when it comes to sowing. So what we need to do as Christians is train ourselves to do the reverse. All right? The first was what? Spin. The second was what? Save. The third was what? Christians flip it over. Because we recognize that God is our source. We have to sow first. Then save and then spend. Now, child of God, hear me. You, not God, not your neighbor, have to train yourself to reverse it. Because by nature, most of us like to spend first. Come on. That check is already your mark. Come on. That, you already know. If your insurance company contacted you tomorrow morning and said, we're going to refund you $2,000 for something or another that we didn't do right, and the government is making us refund it, what's the first thing hit your mind? How can I spend it? Thank you, Jesus. I needed that money for something to spend it on. Oh, it may even be bills. I'm not throwing off. I mean, but usually we curse when we got to spend money for bills. Because we would rather spend it on my head. I'd rather spend it on my nails. I'd rather spend it on my back. I'd rather spend it on a new purse. I'd rather get me a new ride. I'd rather put some tires on my car. Because the first thing that hit my mind is, oh, I can spend that. Now, it doesn't even appeal to us that we didn't have it Friday, but we will get it Monday. And so even if we did not ever spend it, we would never miss it because we never had it. You can't miss what you can't measure. I wish I... So I've got to train myself to sow, then save, then spend. And will you hear me, please? I need to train my children to do the same. Now, most of us are in the shape we're in because we were never trained to sow first, save next, and spend. We watch mama spend. And usually, if you spend first, you ain't got nothing left to save or to sow. I'll get a witness in a minute. If, I, if spending is number one, saving ain't going to happen. And sowing ain't going to happen. I'll come to Carver and I'll hear a sermon, a lesson like this, and I'll get convicted and I'll dig around in the bottom and find something. Or I'll go without two or three happy meals or go without going to the movies or I'll go without something else I was going to get. And I'll put a little money in an envelope and feel a little better about myself. But I really wasn't sowing. That wasn't seed I put in the envelope. That was dust. Because it had no purpose to it. I just did it because, you know, I'm a member of the church. That's what, they, that's what Reverend said church folks supposed to do. So I'm going to do that. We need to train ourselves to sow first, and we need to train our children to sow first. You know, we talk about the old church, but they had that right. When I started going to Sunday school, old enough to remember anything, my mother would give me money to put in church. She said, you put this in your Sunday school class. 
I wanted that money for candy. She said, you better not save that money. I'm she's, and she would say this, I'm watching you in church. When they took up the poor offering, you didn't put anything in there. When they took up the general church offering, you didn't put anything in there. In Sunday school, I know how many children were in class number three. If you'd put that nickel in there that I gave you, the offering would have been bigger. I said, yes, ma'am. Oh, I don't have any witnesses here. See, when I wanted an electric football set, Sister Day, I saved my lunch money every day for six weeks. I went without eating, and you know, Alfred, we used to have extra milk around 10 o'clock in the morning. I didn't drink any of the milk that would come by. I kept that nickel, and I kept my lunch money, and then I bought myself an electric football set for my birthday. But damn me, save that church money she gave me. We go out the door to choir rehearsal. I don't have any saints here that grew up in the church. We go out the door to choir rehearsal. She said, uh-uh, here's some money to put in, in the uh, choir rehearsal tonight. I said, ma'am, put this in choir rehearsal. And then the other adults would sit there and make sure we did it. And to do that, they would call the roll. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. They call the roll out and they say, get down the road. They say, Sherman Young. And Sherman Young get up and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want 50 cents. Anybody remember that? See, I have to train my children to honor the Lord. If I give my children movie money, candy money, icy money. If I give my children money for new games. If I give them money for tennis shoes. A hundred and Forty dollars for a pair of tennis shoes. And then they come to the house of God and sit there at offering time without participating. I am destroying their future. I have to teach my family to prioritize God. And wherever your heart is, is where your treasure is. And wherever your treasure is, is where your heart is. So I need to sow first. Everybody says sow first. Yeah, sowing should come first. If I sow first, then I need to save second. Because when I save, I'm paying myself. Isn't it bad that I go out and work for two weeks or a month and get a paycheck and don't get to enjoy none of it no time? I wish I had a witness here. All that money is allocated for insurance or allocated for lights or gas. All that money is allocated sometimes for bills I never should have made or co-signing that the Bible said I never should do. Uh-oh, that hit the wall. No, the book Proverbs says you don't go on another man's note. No, if he can't go on the note, then he, can't get, he doesn't deserve to get what he's trying to get. Well, I need, I need, I just want to know if you help me out with this. Well, hold up a minute. Wait a minute. My credit's good. Your credit jacked up. I'm going to loan you. I'm going to loan my credit to somebody with jacked up credit. You know, I'm not getting a lot of amens on that. Maybe that's what I need to be preaching on. Sowing, saving, and then spending should come last. Why don't people sow? Well, maybe they don't sow. For a few reasons. First of all, a lack of true love for God. Because if you love me, you give me something. Sisters, 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 sisters. Don't be quiet, sisters. Sister girl, tell you. I 
ain't fooling. messing with you. You cheap. One thing a woman don't want is a cheap man. She will go without a man fooling around with a cheap man. Penny pension man. Call yourself a man. We go out to eat. You looking more at the prices than you looking at the food. You all the way on this side of the menu. Move your eyes back over, bro. Love means I'm going to sow. I'm going to give it to you. If you love God, you can't help but sow. Then secondly, it's a lack of biblical knowledge. You know, a lot of people just don't know that the Bible speaks along this line. That's number one. But number two is a lot of people have gotten tired of preachers talking about money all the time. You know, the number one reason why people say they don't go to church now is because they ask for money all the time. You know why the churches ask for money all the time? Because people ain't giving it. If you're tired of hearing about it, start giving it. That'll shut that down quick. No, but biblical knowledge is this. Please hear this. I'm not preaching for you to help the church. No. Oh, no. No, 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 no. I'm trying to help you. No, I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to help Carl. I'm trying to help you. No. See, that's, that's the problem. We've been programmed to think that everything at church is about funds, fundraiser. Oh, no. This is the word of the Lord. Is something wrong, honey, with shouting on credit and enjoying the Holy Ghost on somebody else's dime? No, I can shout if I'm doing the word. Here's the third thing, victim of their own vanities. Now, I'm going to close my eyes when I say this, but in too many cases, we're not in a position to sow. I'm not calling anybody mean because I don't think it's meanness. We're often not in a position to sow because our vanity has gotten the best of us. We've really got a lot of stuff we don't need. But we had to get it in order to keep up an image. Because, you know, we don't like to look like we ain't got it going on. I mean, is that right or wrong? Who? Who wants to walk around with a plastic purse? No, I'm going to get me a designer bag because they look like they got one. Well, I don't know it's a knockoff, but, you know. Designer shoes. I, I got to get myself ready. Got to be sharp. Then I've got to have the biggest flat screen TV I can find. Because after all, I deserve that too. And I deserve that big flat screen with the curve in it. Then I got to get me an $850 cell phone. So I can keep up with my Facebook. And when you know anything, I, come on, walk with me. Because I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. My vanity is my master. And style has replaced Holy Spirit. Another thing is impulsive deals. You know what that is? That's when you don't think about what you buy. You just buy it on spur of the moment. 
I usually recommend, and you've heard me say this before, if you have credit cards, take your credit card, put it in a freezer bag, fill it up with water, and freeze it in the freezer in your house. And if you're out shopping and you see something you want, go home and you got to thaw it out first before you go and buy. And more than likely, by the time it thaws out, you'll change your mind. Boy, it's so easy to swipe those cards, isn't it? Credit card, debit card. I mean, it's just so easy to swipe that card. And here's what the world knows. The reason they want to phase checks out, and checks will be gone in another year or two. The reason they want to phase checks out and keep, you, keep us with plastic, we spend more with the card because it's harder to keep up with it at the bank. See, with the check, you know, if you keep an old-fashioned registry, you just add on and subtract, 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 and then you know what's in the account. The bank says, we got to fix for that. Give them a card and make it look like a credit card. And then it is legal. A lot of people don't know this. The Congress voted years ago. The banks do not have to tell you exactly what's in your account when you check it online. That's why some of us have gotten caught. When we spent what we thought we had, found out later everything was bouncing. You say, uh-uh, uh-uh. I looked at that before I used the card. Not knowing that it's legal for the software to drag itself about and although there's one amount in the bank, the software is deliberately not deducting that amount for a day or two. Because the bank can't make money off you putting money in your account. I wish I had a witness. I'm trying to sit down. I mean, you put $1,000 in the bank, the bank don't make no money off that. The only way they can make money off of it is if you bounce a check. And then they stand right over there and say, give me $36. Impulsive debts. Here's another thing, lack of family accountability. In so many cases, we're joined together in families where all of us are not walking the same spiritual walk. So a wife may have difficulty convincing her husband that tithing is right. Or vice versa. Or that they want to participate in some effort at, in ministry. And the spouse or another family member. And I say that even when it comes to parents. When I first started tithing, I was still living with my parents, and they didn't believe in it. And when my mother found out how much money I was putting in church, she almost blew top off her head. Because she was born in 1899, and they believed in paying dues. I don't have a witness here. So in many cases, you've got marital strife where... One spouse is afraid that the whole family is not being blessed properly because the other spouse doesn't want to do the word of the Lord. And so in many cases, that spouse has to kowtow down, down in order to please the one that doesn't want to do it. Very few spouses have a relationship where one will say to the other, well, that's on you and, and the money you make, but that's for me and the money I make. Here's the way it's going. Because I believe the word of the Lord. Oh, help us, Lord. So what happens is they get a revelation. 
They hear the word of the Lord. One hears the word of the Lord. Another one says, oh, I don't know about that. No, I don't know about that. Now, what about this? And what about that? And what about that bill? And what about that bill? And what about that? And what about that? How are you going to do that when we can't even do that? Well, how you, I mean, what you, how is that going to go? And sometimes, listen, it's not always the wife wants to and the husband doesn't. Sometimes it's the opposite. And people say, well, what do you do in a case like that? Well, y'all just have to meet on it and do whatever y'all determined to do. You ain't going to have me out here hiding around. Somebody roll up here looking for me. You told, you told, you told him to, you told him, you need to come pay our bill. I don't want, hey, whoa, whoa, don't be looking for me. I'm just preaching what I'm preaching. Y'all know how to talk, talk about everything else. Sit down and have a serious talk about that. Not, and not, and, and my sister, not a preachy talk. See, you lose a husband when you sit down trying to preach to him. Oh, I don't have a witness here. He's good enough for you to marry. He's good enough for you to stay with. Rather than trying to preach and correct him, that's why you turn him off. Oh, I don't have a witness here. Brother, we can't turn him off. Listen, we can't fuss him into doing righteousness. Righteousness is something that a person has to wake up to and believe in it and then walk in it. If you force me to do right, there's still no blessing attached to it. Now, even God doesn't do that. You read the Bible, Bible tells you what's sin and what's not sin. You go right out and sin. The Lord don't step down in your face and say, you sin. I'm going to strike you down with lightning right now. No, he's a gentleman. He, the Lord, brother, sister, listen. The Lord will let you sin all you want. You leave out of here today, you just go have yourself a sin festival. You'll never hear from him. Because that's your life. And we don't bully people into doing right. Is that right or wrong? And then sometimes it's just plain old unbelief. But here's what I want to say, and I'm done. The music is getting ready to play. There is never a harvest without it being in abundance. I check the Bible. Everywhere I read, when God said you're going to reap, it is always in excess of what you've got a plan for. Uh-uh, you did not hear that one. Whenever God really blesses you, you won't have room to receive. I mean, with all the plans you got in your head right now, if God really blessed you, you would have so much more after you paid everything you're thinking about right now, you'll sit around and say, I don't even know what to do with this money. Where am I going to put this money? And then what Paul said, you'll be able to give generously to other good causes. So we say to Mount Mortgage, be removed. We say, I see a building. You say, here's something on it. No stress, no strain, no problem. Here's something right here. What else do we need to do? Here's something on it. Because the truth is, we reap what we sow. Give me some music. I like this corn. I don't know why it's all different colors. It's cute, though. You wouldn't think about eating it. But I'm going to tell you right now, what God gives me back in life, I enjoy it. I eat it. Hallelujah.
My sister walked up here with this offering. In Jesus' name, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. Somebody else just might feel that they need to do that. I wouldn't stop you because I don't know what the Lord may be saying to your heart. Hallelujah. I don't know what he may be saying to your heart. But I wouldn't resist it. I wouldn't rebel against it because you never know why the Lord would have you to do something or what he has in store for you, but it takes this action to release that breakthrough. Then I wouldn't sit up here and say, well, I don't want everybody to know what I do. I, as long as people see me doing right, I don't care that they see it. I ain't trying to show off. Hallelujah. I'm not trying to show off. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord bless. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not trying to show off. I'm not trying to show off. Hallelujah. 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 I'm going to just let that flow for a minute because somebody just may need to do that. Somebody may be wrestling with it, you know, but you need to, you need to break open that area in your life. Hallelujah. I'm not preaching for money for me. I'm not preaching for money for the church. I'm trying to give you the truth that God has given to all of us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody will say, well, you know, I already put something in an envelope. I ain't got nothing to do with that. If the Lord is put, saying something to you right here, matter of fact, if you feel anything in you saying, go, you should do that. Don't resist. You should just volunteer. Just say, okay, Lord. We got to learn to follow the Lord's inner leading right here. Not, not somebody come up to you after church. I got a word for you. God knows where I am. I'm right here. All I need to do is just say, you know, I think I want to do that. I think I want to give. I think I want to give. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Now, some people who are here this morning, um, you know the word of the Lord. You're just in a position right now where you really don't have any, any flow, any cash flow. And I, I just want to agree with you, and I want to say this to you. It's not always about prayer. You know, sometimes you just have to speak out loud what you want and let the Lord add that into your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm praying about something. Yeah, but you've already prayed about it one time. You ain't got to pray about it every time you pray. Now it's time to start confessing I have it. I have that job. I, I have that. I have the car. I have the house. People say, well, I don't see you in no car. Uh-uh, faith is the evidence. What's the evidence? Yeah, faith. If I got faith, that's the evidence of things not seen. You don't see the car, but I got one. Well, how, you, how you say you got one? You're, you're lying. No, I'm not lying. I got faith, and faith is the evidence. You can't go to court without evidence. I got evidence. And the evidence is God has sent me a seed. He sent me a seed. 
He meets my need by sending me a seed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There may be a couple of more people before we sing. Matter of fact, while we're in this period right now, hear and understand the word of the Lord. This is not magic. This is seed time and harvest time. I'm not going to promise you anything. God will turn it around in seven days. I'm not promising you that. I'm telling you what the Lord said. I hadn't read in the Bible where he said seven days. I hadn't, he hadn't told me by unction of the Holy Ghost to say that. If he did, I would. But if we do what the word says, he knows what your needs are. And he will never stand you up. Thank you, Lord. While the church is quiet and in prayer, if you're in this house today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God sent his only begotten son to die for your sins. In three and a half years, he did his work. And at the end of his work, he went to a hill where he was publicly executed because he was God's son. They hung him on a cross and he died. They buried him and three days later, without them being aware that he would do it, he got up from the dead and he is alive today. He went back to heaven and he said, whosoever will, let him come. If you're in this church today and you need to be saved, I'm going to ask if everyone in the church would just bow your heads for a moment, please, because I don't want anyone to feel it.